0: Welcome to the Beverly Hills Plastic Surgery Podcast. This is Dr. Jay Calvert, and I'm coming to you from the corner office in the Roxbury Clinic and Surgery Center with my associate and body lift queen, Dr. Millicent Ravello.
1: Why, hello. How are you?
0: I am just peachy.
1: (laughs) In your corner office. (laughs) I'm
0: loving it. I, I mean, this is like coming together and... You know, it's starting to look like something up here. I'm really pumped.
1: For frame of reference, Dr. Jay Calvert has relocated his physical office into the Roxbury Clinic and Surgery Center. Which I've always had. down the hallway from my (laughs) office. So it's (laughs) quite convenient.
0: Right. So podcasting has now become easier. (laughs) Yes. But I mean, this was always where I was in Beverly Hills. I just got sort of of shuttled out when there was a uh, move that I was taking up too much space basically yeah
1: can you can can you and your crew like move (laughs) along you're taking up too much room in this office
0: you (laughs) you just take up too much room i was like what i was like fine i'll go over to our other place because we have you know in our group we had two surgery centers so i i've said fine i went over there redid it it was fine but you know we we just need one now especially with COVID 19 i mean thank god I didn't re-sign that lease.
1: Thank God. It would just be yeah. like
0: a beast right now. Like the last thing we need is extra space. Right. <laughs> you know, like we've like we kicked everybody out of the office. So like, where's your coordinator? I was like, I don't know. I don't they know. I've never been to their house. <laughs> They're home. They're never coming in again. Here's the phone call. It's Get true. On
1: we've down, we don't need the space. We've downsized. We don't need the space for waiting rooms. We don't even need the space for a lot of offices because a lot of people are working remotely. Patients are waiting in their cars. And it'll change again at some point
0: eventually I think in yeah. two or three years it will but right now I mean like when I see somebody sitting out in the waiting room, I want to hit the eject button I mean, <laughs> They should not
1: sit out there. It's dangerous <laughs> Well that we should put into our office <laughs> you out of here <laughs> Well
0: it'd be dangerous because we're on the 10th floor, so we don't want to Eject them too hard.
1: now there are some patients. But we,
0: <laughs> we could we could give them a, a, a handy buzz or something like there that. Like a little, little, oh yeah, yeah,
1: a little, little buzzer, yeah, yeah, yeah. Or something like yeah, that. like yeah, a junior yeah. one, yeah.
0: not like the real cattle <laughs> buzz. But uh, you know, you can't sit here. I, I I actually thought of just taking all the seats out. There are three seats in a waiting room that used to have about twenty seats in it, and yeah. so now I've just got it down to three. And then when I see people sitting there, it gives me like like convulsions and chest pain it's not good it, it, it's you shouldn't be hanging around in a doctor's office
1: no get in get out
0: get in get out wait in your car call up when you're ready that's not what we're here to talk about
1: is, today <laughs> no today actually. that's my
0: rant and i'm done <laughs>
1: Dr. J. Calvert's rant of the day. No, but today we are actually talking about breast implants, specifically the device choices available and how they are placed. So this is sort of a more technical conversation. We have a breast implant podcast out there already, which kind of goes to the basics for the patient, You know what they should expect, what they're looking for, what they should know. This is sort of like, let's talk about the actual implants and let's talk about where we put them, and it's going to be a little bit more of a technical surgery, this is how we do, this is how we think podcast.
0: I mean, there's lots of devices now.
1: There's so many devices. There's multiple companies. They all have a huge range of products, and I think it's important because patients can sometimes get confused, and they, well, my friend has this, and -and so-and-so has this, and I saw this on Instagram, and so they want to know what you think and how they should be done.
0: Yeah, I mean I think it's hard to really understand all that information as a patient. So you,
1: so you have to, hard. <laughs> you
0: have to kind of count on your surgeon yeah. to guide you. Yeah. And and again this again comes down to selecting the right surgeon for you and then trusting what they have to say and how they want to do it
1: right if you like their look and you like them as a person not their look if you like their before and afters and you like them as a person then at some point you have to relinquish a little bit of control over what they are going to actually do in the surgery now it's one thing to show them a picture of what you like it's one thing to ask for a certain size all that is up to you that is within your realm of control but when you start dictating to the surgeon what kind of devices they should use and how they should be placed, that's where it gets a little bit tricky. And you may end up getting a surgeon accommodating you and getting a surgery that's not best for you. Guilty. <laughs>
0: I've listened oh, to my patients. A
1: thousand percent. Me I, too. I won't do it anymore. <laughs> and I have regretted it every single time.
0: The pa- What I've come to say, and, and I'm, I am rarely, rarely not nice to patients, and I rarely don't sugarcoat bad news but when patients start telling me how to do the operation i just say you are not qualified to tell me that right and and i and i say i'm sorry and i'm nice about it i'm not like a yeah, total yeah. you know ass but but at the same time, they, they take offense to it. I can tell that they've done all their doctor Googling. Right. And they've learned all the anatomy. Right. And they've gotten into the surgical
1: And they have the list of questions they're supposed reports, to ask. And they've, got, they've <laughs> printed
0: it out from real self or whatever. And they're going to ask all those questions. And they're going to go through it one by one. And, and, and what I and, and I also do this, which is probably not nice. They say, well, how are you going to do my operation?" I said, well, it's very simple. First I'm going to do is I'm going to take a 15 blade. I'm going to make an incision. I'm going to dissect down to the clavipectoral fascia. After going through the clavipectoral fascia, I'm going to dissect down and expose the leading edge of the pectoralis major muscle. Then with an alice elevator, <laughs> and I, and I tell them exactly how they're going to do it because that's what they want to know. They want to know exactly how you're going to do it. Yeah. And then they just look at you with like a blank, blank stare because they don't know what they any of those, those words are. are. They have no idea how surgery is done. Yeah. And so asking a surgeon to technically tell you how they're going to do the operation, You might as well say, you know, teach me a new language today. Yeah. And I only have eight minutes to learn it.
1: Right. And you can't learn a new language in eight minutes. You can't. And the majority of plastic surgeries, even, not even, but primary breast augmentation, it's not just a primary breast augmentation. There's a lot of thought and planning and knowledge and technique and strategy that goes into any given breast implant surgery. Totally. And to try and condense that into like you said eight minutes of training for the patient is kind of impossible so yes it's a collaboration please bring me the photos of implants you like please tell me what size you want to be please tell me what you don't like and i can work with that
0: right but you also can't say oh i found this picture of this patient who has four seventy fives in. Oh, gosh. I want that
1: it means absolutely nothing because what did she start with how broad are her shoulders like what kind of degree of skin laxity does she have it that number literally means absolutely nothing right
0: and the it, it's height and weight and, and I I remember when I was doing a, a Dr. Hockey podcast with Kevin Connolly I gave him a uh, breast implant sizer as a gift so that he could relax in traffic and you know, yeah. kind of use it as, a, it as a stress <laughs> reliever. And uh, I, I gave him a 475, and he looked, at. It, he goes, what size breast is this? I go, well, Kevin, it depends on whether you put that in uh, a patient who is 5 feet tall or a patient who is 6 foot 2. Great. Because the implant itself is simply a device with a volume attached to it, and it depends on the body, the breast, the chest wall, the patient size, the the weight, how much, you know, it depends on all those things. So the implant size is essentially, it's not irrelevant, but it's variable based on multiple, multiple, Multiple multiple factors that have to be taken into account when deciding which breast implant to choose.
1: And so let's talk about the implants a little bit. You know, the, So there's three main companies, and we do not need to go into the difference between a lot of them, because that's neither here nor there. But there's Mentor, there's Allergan, and there's Sientra. And most surgeons have a preference of which ones they like or which ones they use. True. Um, and they may have different reasons for why they like them. But I would say, in general, an implant is sort of an implant. You know, it depends on...
0: <laughs> 100%. <laughs> an implant is
1: an implant is an implant. It is. Now,
0: I, yeah, there's little variation. There's very little
1: variation. But within each of those companies, there is a wide variety of styles of implants. And I would say most of all three of those companies have similar styles amongst themselves. So one company does not make an implant that looks dramatically different than another company. And the implants, when you're looking at them, usually there are three factors that go into any given implant. The size, which is the number of cc's, which is volume. It's the volume of the implant and it's the profile which means how far does that implant project off the chest wall so if you think about the fact that you have say your 450 cc implant you can put it into a in your implants a circle You have a diameter. It could be 12 centimeters, in which case your 450cc implant is going to be sticking like six, seven centimeters off the chest wall. Or you can put it into a lower profile implant, which has maybe a 14 centimeter diameter. Now you've spread that volume out over a wider space. So it's going to project off the chest wall maybe three or four centimeters. So that's your profile. And that's really just how much volume has been squeezed into how wide a space. Correct. And you can go from low... Moderate, moderate plus, high, extra high. And all the companies have different words for that. But basically, you can go from very low to very high.
0: Yeah, you go from basically pancake to torpedo.
1: Pancake to torpedo. <laughs> and, you know, the the super high, the ultra high profile implants, those are great for small, skinny women who want to have a lot of volume without looking wide.
0: But some of those look like. Do you ever eat like dots at the movie theater? Yeah. I, they just look like. <laughs> It look ridiculous. <laughs> I, I don't like those at all. Just I've
1: not used for- them a few times. I've used like when women who are really tiny and they just want to have, you know, uh, high projecting implants, I will use there's them. There's somebody it's for. Yeah. I,
0: I get it. But you know, that's that is it. and again it's surgeon preference. Like surgeon I preference. like high profile Implants and I like moderate plus.
1: Yeah, implants. most of the two I use, I usually usually use high profile. Um, I will use moderates or moderate plus. I will use moderates on my older women who really have had maybe implants their whole lives. I want them out, but just wanted a natural look where nobody's looking at their breast, but they, they have something to fill out the skin that's left right. behind. So I'll use a moderate, a moderate plus in those women. But generally, from my younger patients, primary augmentations, it's moderate plus or high profile. But that's just the, that's sort of the look here. That's what most of my patients want. They want to have a sort of augmented looking appearance.
0: Naturally augmented. Naturally is augmented. <laughs> is so when term. you say
1: you want to be natural, but yet you still want people to know that you had it. No, they'll implant. bring pictures of like
0: <laughs> implants, and they'll be like, "See how natural these look." I'm like. Okay, maybe you haven't seen, you're in California, you've never seen a natural breast because they breast. don't exist here, which I get. But maybe if I show you what a natural breast is, you're going to
1: say, oh, no, 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 no. Actually, I, I don't really want yeah, that. I want something sort of
0: flat at the top that swings a little yeah. bit, hangs down lower than the for mammary fold, nipple points at the ground. Okay, well, that's a natural okay, breast. Okay, yeah, sure, sounds we good. We can do that for you without an implant. No, with implants, it's a whole different animal. It, yeah. And you have to understand that it's very hard to look natural when you're trying when to look have... great. When... <laughs>
1: <laughs> I should Is that should like, the logo for plastic surgery. <laughs> <laughs> I mean,
0: naturally augmented. Naturally That's augmented. Thing. But, you, you know, they want it to look like. I don't know. The keep them guessing kind of thing. It's like, it's not a guess for us because we know when there are implants, you know, in general. But there are some that it's like hard to tell. Some is
1: hard to tell. And I would say especially if you have a decent amount of breast tissue already, it's much easier to achieve that naturally augmented look because you have a lot of breast tissue to cover the implant. And it can be like, "Mm, is she just big-breasted? Is there something in there? Because you're not going to have that super, super um, artificial look because you have natural coverage. If you have absolutely nothing and you're pretty small to start out with it's hard to get that really soft swingy natural look with implants yeah
0: you're kind of host it's going to be especially like i have a bunch of patients that are bodybuilders and they are like body fat of like four percent and they're like oh i just don't understand why you see all the implant i was like because there's nothing to cover it a (laughs) 700cc implant it's like where where do you think this is going to hide under it's like you have skin over silicone, it's right. going to look like a silicone like an implant. implant. I, 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 right there, there are no breasts that look that way. You know, on five foot tall, eighty nine pound people. Yeah, they just, no, it doesn't happen. It doesn't happen that way.
1: Yeah, Nobody and certainly not high like you want them. No, you know they're gonna. If, yeah, so that's that's it. That's size. That's profile. And then there is sort of this kind of weird concept of cohesivity and that can vary between different uh, implants and implant styles. But this is where people come in asking for what's basically a trademark name, gummy bear implants. Allergan is the company that has trademarked the term gummy bear but all of the manufacturers have a version of a gummy bear implant. And what that means is that the gel, the silicone gel that's inside the implant is a little bit firmer than other types of silicone gels. And what that means is that it just it sticks together a little bit more if it's to rupture the silicone gel is not going to ooze or leak anywhere it's just a tighter implant a little bit less prone to the visible rippling that you may see in a softer implant yes and no theoretically yeah,
0: you still see it in thin people
1: you still see it in thin people yeah, uh, um, yeah. and it's going to I've, be firmer i've tried to combat yeah.
0: rippling with that and it just has not worked
1: and it, it's It doesn't always work, but that's the idea. Um, And I really only use the highly cohesive, the actual gummy bear implants for my reconstruction patients. I haven't found that they have any benefit in my cosmetic patients because all they do is feel firmer without any really aesthetic, visible benefit. So I use the middle of the road. I use the mid-level cohesivity on most of my implants.
0: Yeah, the the gummy bears to me feel too firm. They're
1: super firm. They feel like
0: um, when my brother and I were young, like eight seven years old we had a uh doll called stretch armstrong (laughs) and you you could take his arms and like pull it as far as you possibly could and they wouldn't tear off and so they feel kind of like stretch armstrong (laughs) to me i'm just like "Mm."
1: maybe maybe it's just like a childhood
0: thing but it's also like they just feel too firm they're
1: They're very firm.
0: that you could just keep pulling and it's just not going to come apart no matter what but i like the mid-level cohesivity that's what i choose um in, in whether I choose it from Mentor or Sientra or Allergan, it just depends a little bit on the patient and a little bit on which implant I want to use because there are certain implants available with certain companies that are better for certain for situations.
1: Certain yeah, again, that's where you got to kind of trust your surgeon a little bit that if they're recommending a certain implant, it's it's probably for a reason.
0: Under the muscle under the fascia under the gland what's your what's your preference for any of these Indian implants days. when you're doing a primary breast augmentation
1: so background here we're talking about the pectoralis muscle which is the chest muscle and implants can be placed under that muscle they can be placed over the muscle under the breast tissue or in an intermediate space which is under the fascia of the muscle which is sort of a thick fibrous band covering the muscle so it's sort of in between the muscle and the gland but still under the fascia um My go-to choice, 90% of patients, is probably under the muscle for my cosmetic patients. Um, Agreed. Every once in a while, I will do a subglandular, especially if I have a patient that has tuberous breath, which is a whole different deformity, but some kind of reason where I feel I need to really manipulate the skin envelope a little bit more than I can get with just a submuscular implant. So that's very rare. And... I'm not a huge fan of the subglandular. Number one, you have to have a decent amount of breast tissue to start with; otherwise, it's definitely more visible. But I just, and here's my maybe my Beverly Hills preference talking. I just find it gives more of a natural look than I like. They tend to sag and sit a little bit lower, whereas when they're submuscular, they sit a little bit higher and a little bit tighter.
0: Yeah, I agree. I think the uh, the subglandulars look good at first,
1: Mm-hmm. but then they all they fall. Just they turn all fall. Like the rock
0: and the sock kind of thing.
1: Yeah, I'm not. I don't. I don't. I just don't. It's not my look. I don't like implants that kind of sit low and sag.
0: I do. I do mostly submuscular as well. Once in a while, I'll do a subfascial if they're a, if they're a bodybuilder, right, or right, something like that. Then I don't. If I don't want to, because you know the the downside to the submuscular and people just like don't talk about this, is is animation deformity. Oh, it's a thing. It's a, it's a real thing. And yeah. You know, we all get it Who when we do it. And
1: well, you, I mean, 100% of patients get yeah, it. Because, it's under your muscle. When you move your muscle, <laughs> the implants are going to move. And the question is just, how much do you see it and how much does it bother you? Right.
0: Because, I mean, that's the problem is that you're going to get that animation issue and...
1: You know, it,
0: you can combat it a little bit. I do release that muscle a fair amount. Oh, yeah. There's, there's yeah. a lot of stuff I do, but I still, still see it. You, you know? still
1: see it. You know, if you move your, your arms, your chest a certain way, you're going to see the implants move. It- It's just kind of part of having breast implants. And I think a lot of us have just gotten used to seeing it. It's very unusual that it's any kind of distracting thing. Um, And I don't find that most patients are particularly bothered by it unless it's, you know, your active weightlifting patients who it really bothers them because they're definitely moving that muscle a lot.
0: Yeah. But, you know, the subfascial has made sort of a resurgence. People are into it. Subglandular a little bit. Yeah. Sure is easy to do a subglandular. I mean, the patient's <laughs> healing in nice. like a day. Yeah, that is nice. It's definitely <laughs> it's like, good. I mean, that's how they were all done, like in the 70s and the right. early 80s. They were all done subglandular, but the capsular contracture rate was so high.
1: So that's the thing, right? And, and we haven't talked, but there's the other component to implants, which is the surface texture are they smooth or are they textured what that means is there's a shell the outer shell of any implant is made of silicone but it can either be smooth or it can be textured which kind of has a velcro pebbly feel to it and textured implants have their place um, but they sort of come under attack recently because they have been associated with a very rare but very recognized form of cancer called ALCL. again super rare But only ever seen in textured implants. Never seen in smooth implants. So I personally do not like using textures for that reason. It's much better if I just do smooth. I don't worry about it. That being said... Textured implants in the sublandular position do decrease the risk of capsular contraction. That we know.
0: Correct, and I just never got used to using textured. The only time I'd use them was when I go to Dubai because that's all they seem to have there for some reason.
1: Well, but they had but. those other ones that we liked. Oh, the, oh, motiva. the Motivas, yeah, those and are the motivas nice. Motivas
0: are sweet. <laughs> The motivas.
1: Almost got me I, a pair of motivas. <laughs>
0: uh, yeah, you, you were you were thinking like let's knock this out while we're here. But the uh, I think the motivas are really nice and they are they are it's a different texturing process and I really believe that, that that cancer issue with the textures is from the texturing process.
1: It is. So. It's the super aggressive macro texturing. Right.
0: Whereas with motivas they're, they use nanotechnology to texture them, and it's not a chemical it's process. Almost
1: like a smooth, almost, almost feels like a smooth. It's like a very velvety feel to but it. The,
0: the gels are just sweet. Yeah, they're just they're, they. got to get them here. Yeah.
1: That, sorry, listeners, we don't have those yet, but they are under <laughs> in the process of going through FDA approval. They so are. I mean, there some are some guys we'll that them.
0: are doing them, but they're yeah. you know they they have to get through the FDA first, and yeah. you know we're not going to be able to generally put them in until you're on you know right now you have to be in a study, but I, I think they probably got a year or two before yeah, they start yeah. coming in. At least. Especially given all the issues with texturing. Because they are, like the word yeah. textured is there.
1: Yeah, and it freaks people out. Maybe they should call it something else.
0: They should call it like uh, like rough-hewn <laughs> implants. <laughs> Can you do that?
1: I liked my velvet. I liked that's my velvet implants.
0: Hey, is that real velvet? <laughs> how many velvets did you have to kill to make that sweater? <laughs> Yeah, no, that that is what they are. They're velvety.
1: Yeah. So I think that's, I mean, those are sort of the main things that your surgeon is looking at when he's talking about your implants, when she's talking about your implants. Size.
0: There are she surgeons. I know, right? How about that? (laughs) A couple couple here and there. They
1: let women into medicine these days. really? Is that true?
0: (laughs) Unbelievable.
1: No, there's size. There's profile. There is smooth versus textured. There's implant location. Um, and then lastly, but not least, you know, we <laughs> no, totally lease. We'd, we'd, totally we'd be remiss if we didn't talk about saline implants. So, saline implants are exactly what they sound like. They have a silicone, outer silicone shell. So, you're yeah. not getting away from silicone, but instead of being filled with a silicone gel, they're filled with saline or water. Um, what are the benefits of them? They're cheaper. That's about it. Well, that's all I can th- tell there's you. There's
0: people that are still freaked out about silicone. So for the for those who are freaked out about silicone, you, the saline is the
1: saline choice. is there. Now, like I said, they are still surrounded by a silicone shell. So you are still putting silicone in your body. But should your implants leak, you will not have silicone leaking into your body. You'll just have an automatically completely flat breast on one side because once that's that's popped, it's done. You have no more breast. If a silicone implant breast leaks, you will still retain almost all of the volume because it basically just stays in one place, especially the newer generation ones. Right.
0: Because of the cohesive nature of the
1: gel. It doesn't go anywhere. It just stays there.
0: It stays stuck together.
1: Yeah. So that I suppose could be one benefit. You know, you're avoiding silicone leaking, but the, again, the newer generation of silicone implants, they don't leak. They just like a gummy bear kind of stay together. If you were to cut them or, or get into the capsule.
0: There's a downside to saline implants that no one talks about. And I want to talk about it right now. Hmm. The downside is that you water hammer, the water hammer effect with saline implants with every step that you take is real. And I think that's what makes stretched out long breasts with mm. saline implants in them. I think because that water hammer effect, it's,
1: constantly, it's just
0: constantly stretching the skin envelope. Yeah. And over 10 years of time, we see these like displaced and that people think, oh, well, the muscle's pushing on, pushing on it. I don't think it's the muscle that mm. is pushing on the implant. I think it's the water hammer effect that's pushing driving it itself.
1: Yeah, maybe. I can because, see
0: that. you know, that doesn't happen with silicone gel. You know, you don't get it because it doesn't flow and it's cohesive.
1: Yeah, it stays in place. So
0: I think from a a skin envelope, stretchy breast, mastopexy in the future standpoint, I really advocate for silicone gel implants.
1: Yeah, I could see that. I just, the salines, they don't, um, they just don't look and feel as nice as a silicone. Yes, silicone implants, like we said, are not necessarily going to look natural, but they are soft. They do have a nice contour to them. Saline ones will kind of give you that water balloon on your chest look. Yes. And they just feel firm, which is kind of counterintuitive. You would think that they would feel softer because they're water, but they don't. They feel like a firm water balloon.
0: Especially when people overfill them, which almost everyone always they do because they want to not have rippling or anything like that. But it's interesting. There's a point Too. Once you overfill, you start to get
1: more rippling. Right, because it's bulging (sighs) and spots, and yeah, I'm not a fan. No, if if my you know put a gun to my head, put him against a wall, I'll I'll use saline, but it's not my preference.
0: I'm not going to do that to you. (laughs) You can use silicone. (laughs) Thank you, thank you. (laughs) (laughs) All right, Doctor Ravello. Anything else about uh,
1: device choices? No. I mean, we could do a whole second podcast on. Devices and where they go and how we do it. But I think that's a pretty good overview.
0: Well, again, if you guys have questions and you want to send us uh, any messages, you can DM us on our Instagram account. That's usually the best spot, which is Beverly Hills Plastic Surgery Pod uh, on Instagram. Um, You can also reach us on our websites, obviously, RavelloPlasticSurgery.com and DrCalvert.com. But, you know, we're interested to hear from you. We appreciate everybody listening. And I've gotten a lot of great ideas from, our, uh, from my patients and yeah. from our listeners about these topics. And, you know, we're going we're gonna to go through every laser. We're going to keep going, you know, through every surgical technique and every, every part of each operation because people have a lot of questions, you know, and we're happy to take your questions and, and answer them. So once again, this is the Beverly Hills Plastic Surgery Podcast coming to you from the 90210, like for real now. <laughs> The Beverly Hills Plastic Surgery Podcast is brought to you by Rock Spa. This is MediSpa, located both in Beverly Hills and Newport Beach, providing services such as Botox, fillers, lasers, and all therapy, as well as hydrofacials and all the aesthetic products you could possibly need. It's run by the medical director, me, Dr. Jay Calvert. Rock Spa Beverly Hills is located at 120 South Spalding Drive, suite 340 Beverly Hills 90212 the phone number there is 310-777-0496 and Rock Spa Newport Beach is located at 1617 West Cliff Drive Newport Beach, California 92660 the phone number there is 949-640-1111 you can go to their respective websites rockspanewportbeach.com or rockspabeverlyhills.com Rockspa was created to help my patients maintain their aesthetic beauty in between whatever operations they have throughout their lives. It's something that allows patients to come in, get their facials, skin treatments, take care of all the Botox fillers and lasers that they need to keep up their beauty and if they've invested in any of the aesthetic operations I perform, it's the way to maintain those operations. If you mention this podcast, you will get the member's pricing for your hydrofacial. The Beverly Hills Plastic Surgery Podcast is the way that Dr. Ravello and I talk about the issues that are important to us in plastic surgery. But there's nothing better than getting to take care of our patients and do plastic surgery. Our practices are located in Beverly Hills, and I also have a satellite office in Newport Beach. You can learn about my practice at drcalvert.com. And you can reach my office by calling 310 8800 and that will get you an appointment either in Beverly Hills or at the Newport Beach office.
1: My practice is located in Beverly Hills. Our office phone number is 310-954-1355. You can also contact us directly through the website, which is rovelloplasticsurgery.com.
0: We look forward to seeing you in the office for some aesthetic tune-ups.